Hey, wait a minute. That sounded more like Sonny on Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. And I'm Sam. Don, how are you? I'm doing well, Sam. Yeah? Yeah. You're looking kind of spiffy there. You know, I, uh, I, I love that you got a monster on your shoulder. That's what, well, you know, we're, do, we're doing this via Zoom. Yes, <laughs> we're doing everything via Zoom, it seems like these days. And I have a Godzilla who's carrying um, a little Barbie in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> but I really love that you showed me Ultraman a few minutes ago and we're super impressed that I knew it was Ultraman. <laughs> you knew it was Ultraman. Yes, I've got a few friends around here, but I'm, you know, I'm liking Zoom. Except you can't, like, we can't sing <laughs> together. Well, we can. It's just cacophonous. Yeah, it's cacophonous. We, so at the 530 meeting, the Shivering Denizens that are, have been running, you know, we end the meeting with everybody unmutes and we say the serenity prayer together. And, of course, you know how that sounds. Mm-hmm. In fact, we get, Melanie, our guest, was here. Join us. Let's do the serenity prayer to open this meeting. All together now. God. God. Grant, grant me serenity, serenity to accept, to accept the things not, I stop, cannot stop, change. Stop. Let's do it all together. One, two, <laughs> three. God. God. Grant, grant me, me serenity, serenity to accept, accept the things I cannot change. And the courage, courage to change the things I, I can. And the wisdom, and the wisdom, wisdom to, to know, the, know difference. the difference. Boom shakalaka. <laughs> so that's what it sounds like to God every minute. <laughs> <laughs> Just this cacophonous of random bits of prayers. Yeah, I got to let you know that uh, those meetings that, that do that, not only do I stay muted, but I also mute my machine so I don't even hear it. I just oh. pray silently. <laughs> You're no fun. I'm totally fun. <laughs> well, I know someone who's fun. Our guest. Ooh, we do have a guest. Hi. Who are Hi. you? I'm Melanie, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Melanie. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Melanie. Thank what? you. When did you get sober? Well, the very last time I got sober was September of September 25th of 2017. That was the last time. Yes, this is my sobriety date now. All right. And how many? That tells me there's been a few times before. Yeah. Yeah. At least one time before. Yes. What's up with that? Well, one was in 1999. And so I had 10 years of sobriety and I decided that I wanted to, to go check it out again since I was older and, mm-hmm. and that maybe it was just like one of those, you know, I was just wild cause I was young and that's why you started drinking again. Yes. I was like, let me try this out. And I had stopped going to meetings and stopped talking to people in AA and I stopped praying. It's basically what they say. And I started hanging out with people who, you know, were, were alcoholics and, Yeah, so I decided I was going to try non-alcoholic wine and beer. And just like every, you know, good AA -er, I started drinking two bottles of non-alcoholic beer (laughs) a night or of wine. And I even went into like total wine and I would get like, you know, special non-alcoholic wine. And then I went to the grocery store one day and was getting my six pack of non-alcoholic beer. And then I saw beer next to it and I was like, well, I'll just like, maybe I could just do like a non-alcoholic beer and trade it with a regular beer and just, you know, see what happens. And so Mm -hmm. 
Maybe uh, if I mix my whiskey with milk. Yes. <laughs> and it worked really well. I think I blacked out within an hour. And All right. Yes. And then, yeah, I went to Folly Beach. I drove there. Well, the person that I went to Folly Beach with drove me back to my apartment and because they didn't want to be around me anymore after an hour. And so then... <laughs> I, I got my keys and then I drove to Folly Beach and got kicked out of bars again. And you're kept getting driving kicked back out. And, For yeah, because I was being a little bit annoying and very loud and rambunctious. <laughs> and they thought I was annoying and I didn't need to be there anymore. So I kept trying to go back, but they wouldn't let me back in. Yeah. yeah, I got kicked Aww. out of a bar once, and I was, I was offended because I was buying all the alcohol. I know I could buy everything that they had. I was like, "Why? Why are you kicking?" I was like uh, drinking elephant beers, which is imported beer, you know, elephant beer. But oh, that's highfalutin stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I called the bartender by tell him I wanted another beer by going. <laughs> You definitely do the owl in the air and make a <laughs> elephant sound. Wow! I can't do it. So, in so here's the thing, Don. I think maybe you have to be drunk to do the elephant sound. I bet you did it really well when you're drunk. <laughs> oh boy! It was Let's not find bad. out if that's the the magic. No, 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 no. But so, so Melanie, I'm I'm curious though. So you you were sober for ten years, right? I was. Was it a slow process of getting away from sobriety from, from AA or was it like, all right, I'm done and you walked away or how did that look? It was kind of a slow process. I mean, I lived in Greensboro and I did really well in Greensboro in 99 through 2005 and was going to a lot of meetings and doing service work um, at the treatment center here. And then I got married and moved to Colorado and I had about seven years. And so I felt like I wasn't getting anything out of the meetings and I forgot about the 12th step. So I was like, well, they're not helping me at all. So I just, you know, stopped going to meetings, was around a lot of people drinking. And then we moved to Charleston, South Carolina, and I wasn't going to meetings and you know, was around people who drank a lot. And my ex-husband mm -hmm. drank. Um, and then my father ended up getting really sick. That was kind of when I started drinking non-alcoholic wine. I started smoking cigarettes again. Yeah, it was just kind of that I was getting very resentful. And then I guess, and then when he passed away, I was just... um Kind of came into a bunch of money, so I left my ex-husband, and was just like, oh, well, you know, I'm in Charleston again, and I had gone to some meetings, but I was going to one a week, maybe, and I think it was just all of a sudden that whole, I don't know, I just wasn't praying at all. I was very resentful. I was very, like, rebellious, and when I met people, single people who were drinking or, you know, when they were alcoholics, I was just kind of like, well, maybe I can do this. And so I think that's just kind of how it started. And I just didn't have a good connection of anyone in AA at all when I was there. I want to tell you something. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You, you just helped me. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I have been, uh, I mean, I've, I've gone to some smaller AA meetings on, on Zoom lately, but I've been pulling away from larger ones that I used to go to in person because I'm just not getting what I need. So I need to remember that 12 step thing. But also the other thing that I was listening to is a, a situation I'm about to be in. And it's like, not only did you pull away, but you moved. Mm-hmm. And I'm about to move as well. And one of those things is um, that I'm hearing is that if I am pulling away from AA and I don't connect with AA where I'm going, then it's so much easier 
to go out because what I was wondering was, you know, if, if you had, I, I didn't know that you had moved. So one of the things that I was listening for initially was that how, how did that break from AA happen where you lived? Mm-hmm. And the thing, because for me, that would be devastating because that's where all my friends are. I mean, 98% of the people that I'm connected to are in recovery. And for me to leave recovery or leave AA would be really difficult here. But if I moved somewhere new, that wouldn't be so tough because I'm not already connected. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. I don't know. Start, and then you just kind of like start telling yourself, well, maybe I don't need this. Like, why are these people, why are these people still here? You know, and you don't really know them. And I was just like, maybe I don't need it. And that was kind of just, if you're not connected with anybody that can call you on your BS, then. And yeah. You also, sounds like you also weren't convinced that drinking wouldn't ever work for you again. Yeah, because, I mean, I was 22 when I got sober the first time, and I was actually in another fellowship. I don't know what happened, but I think that in that fellowship, I just, um, I don't know, I guess that I kind of was like, well, maybe I could drink, like, at the very end, like, even though in the beginning, it's like alcohol, you know? So so how did that work out? (laughs) Yeah, it worked out really well. (laughs) Because then a month, then a week, you know, then like two days later, I'm doing the other thing too. And then I'm like on a continuous cycle. This isn't isn't an AA meeting. Yeah, we can talk about drugs too. Yeah, and then I'd like start doing coke. And, but I think another way that I forgot, like that I, um, because it led me out like twice in long-term sobriety was I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe I could just like smoke pot and not tell anybody again. Like, let me, let me do that. Even though like when I'm in the heart of AA, I'm like, I don't think that at all, but it was like, well, let me just try it. And then it's like the next night I'm like, well, that sucked. So maybe I should just drink, you know, like turned on the switch. Turned on the switch. Did I, I assume you kept that pot smoking secret? Oh yeah. And I, yeah. I did it, but it was always like, for a week and I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't tell anybody. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to pick up my, you know, the second time around, I was like, I'm just going to pick up my second, you know, my six year chip and not tell anybody, but I didn't, it didn't work out. Cause yeah. then I just did it. Started I drinking. Yeah. Cause I was just like, I feel like the pod doesn't do anything. So <laughs> I was like, well, let me go ahead and it, try something that gets me more like fucked up. So let's do that. And then, mm-hmm. yeah. And then it never turns out well. And it seems like every time, like I would relapse, like the very first time, like I would tell people and then I would go to a meeting and pick up a start over chip. How many times did you do that? Pick up a start over chip. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're about to hear tile the bathroom. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Tile this whole room. Really? I kept every single one of them and then every one of them. And so like now, and when I moved to Greensboro, it was like all of a sudden I was finding like, you know, cause in Charleston it's like silver tokens and then they're like white tokens. And so I had them like, I kept finding them in all these different places. And that was like at the meeting that we had, the other night our online zoom meeting, like when they were like, Melanie, get the chips. And I was like trying to find like my big box that I had so that I could pull out all the different chips for people. <laughs> but yeah. So a lot, I mean, then it was like, you get like two or three days sober. And then I'd be like, well, I only have two days. Like, let's just go ahead and do this again. And it was just like, I kept doing that. That seems like the real trap there to, yeah. to a relapse is, um, you know, and I, I, I started over in, in my re- recovery as well back in 2012. Uh, I, I started, I used um, poppers and diet pills and, and got honest about that and, and started over, but I didn't drink. Mm-hmm. And one of the things sitting there with the two guys that uh, I made that decision with to start over, one of them said he was really concerned for me that my starting over would send me out. And that 
hadn't even occurred to me, but I totally got that. All right. Because that hadn't occurred to me, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay in this. But I was so keenly aware right then of what better reason do I have to drink than, well, I'm starting over anyway, or I've just got two days or, or something like that. Um, that would be such an easy hole to fall into. Mm-hmm. I get it. it. And then you end up in treatment like a month later. <laughs> that happened both times. I was wondering what, because I, I didn't pick up a lot of start over chips. I did all my stopping and starting before I came to AA. I did, if I had gone to AA, I would have picked them up, but I didn't go to AA. I, I made commitments that I wasn't going to drink today and then failed and then made the commitment again and failed and made the commitment again and failed. And then finally I came to AA and I made a commitment and I didn't fail after that. So you, you must feel like that AA doesn't work. Did you feel like AA doesn't work and picking up all these start over chips, you know, or did, could you see that there was a place? So, no, I guess the question is, what was different the last time for you when you picked it up and it stuck? What was different for you inside that meant this is it? I'm giving up. Um, I think, well, what happened, you know, I went to Fellowship Hall in 1999 and so I knew all these people in Greensboro, like forever. We were really close. And so then when I went back again, it was like the people that I knew before that I was really close with. Like one of them was the president there. And he was like, I was freaking out. And I was like seeing all these people that weren't there when I was there before. And then they were still sober. And so I was like, I need to see Mike, like the president in there. Um, so he came to see me my second day in detox <laughs> and I just lost it because he had seen me have time and he was like, you know, knows my story. And he was like, are you done in Charleston? Are you done fucking around? Like you ready to move back here? <laughs> and I was like, what? No, I like, I'm fine. And he was just like, and it was just, I think that all those people that had seen me and him saying that to me, I was like, whoa, maybe it didn't work you know, there, like, since I've relapsed <laughs> after long-term sobriety twice there, it took that, and it also, like, took the help, which is, this is really sad, but I don't know, it was like I had the help of everyone, because I was freaking out about stuff in Charleston, like, what would I do, you know, with everything, and um, they made it, like, a smooth transition, and I felt like I was starting all over again. I felt like I was that 22 year old, you know, and I think it's maybe it was mental. Maybe it was like being back there again. And, and it was kind of like, I felt real, and it sounds cheesy, but like, yeah, I had a hard time with my dad dying. And so when I went, Oh my God. <laughs> so when I went back to fellowship Paul this time, it was kind of like, I felt him there kind of like, you know, so I just felt like he was kind of like there with me. Um, yeah. And it just, like, it was okay again. So. Um, he was there. Yeah. So I would go, like, on the little trail and, yeah. So, and I think seeing all the people that were still sober, that, that gave me a lot of hope. I mean, I was like oh my God, you're sober after two, you know, 20 years. Mm. And I would have had two years more than you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, I'm, so I'm hearing the two, two things uh, uh, in particular was kind of like the sober slap from Mike. Yeah. And then the, uh, the, the reality, the, the, the recognition of people who are, are, are still sober that you saw around you, um, those two things kind of helped break through. And I think that he knew me so well, I think because he didn't screw around with me. Like he was like, when I went into his office and I was like, no, I have to move back to Charleston because of my cat. And he, <laughs> said, he was like, Melanie, I know you love Kirby. He was like, but fuck your cat right now. Like this is your life. And he knew me so well that like, they didn't put up with my bullshit at all 
you know, so that was another thing, like having people that really knew me in that treatment center. That is really cool. I mean, the, the fact that, I mean, that, that in itself is one of the things that is so important about having a connection within the fellowship is that people get to know me and they also will call me on my bullshit and things like that. And that served you years later, even after having relapsed and coming back. And here was this whole group of people who knew you at the place that you were getting your sobriety back. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. They really helped a lot. Cool. So that's when you surrendered to, okay, I can't, there's no way this is going to work anymore. But it sounds like you had also a spiritual connection that time that maybe you didn't have before. Yeah. I think I just, um, cause I started seeing like, okay, well I'm back here for a reason. And I think another thing was that it was like, whoa, I'm back here 20 years later. Like maybe I can't, you know, this is my fourth treatment center. And being back at the very first one, like 20 years later, I think I was like, whoa, maybe. Did you, I'm say, it was your, did you say it was your fourth? Uh-huh. You were four times in treatment. Yeah. There's no telling how many times you started over. You don't have count. You can't count them. Uh-uh. Wow. Yeah. Cause I had that stint of the like 10 years and then. I drank and used like for a whole, for a month and went to treatment, but I didn't care when I was there. And magically I got sober after six months of in and out. And then I had almost, I had almost six years and relapsed for a month and went to another treatment center. I went to another treatment center. It was a really nice treatment center. Then I stayed sober for four months and, was there any place you were fighting the program or was it just that you wanted to drink more than you wanted to stay sober? I mean, were you fighting against the steps? Were you fighting against the spiritual aspect of the program or was it just, I just want to drink. I want to use. I mean, honestly, I think it was fighting against the spiritual. Like I think like what happened when I was like in Charleston is that I wasn't working on myself on the inside, you know, like in, in AA, like I was looking, I was like an addict of everything. And so I was never happy, like inside. I was always, you know, I was addicted to, I was like a love and sex addict, which I probably still, well, you know, I mean, but it was like, so that was like my sponsor there would be like, Oh, you met another guy. Like, you know, two weeks later, oh, who's this one? What what what's so great about him? You know, where have you been? You haven't been at meetings. And it was a constant, like every two weeks, like somebody or I go back to somebody. And that's how my constant how it was in Charleston. Mm, and so, you know, that's one of the things they say don't get that's one of the reasons that they say don't get into a relationship in the first year because how being in a relationship is real easy to make the other person your higher power. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's what I do. And then, yeah, so I never, I mean, I was miserable inside. I think even when I had that time in Charleston, I was miserable and, you know, I wasn't really working the steps and it was like, I just wasn't connecting with people. I think that was another thing. And I would always say, Hey, you know, I mean, I'd be like Greensboro has the best meetings ever. And I would always say that. And I think it was just the connection with people too, but I don't know. I mean, I think I was never really working the steps inside myself and I was always looking at something else to like fix me. And mm. so, yeah, we do that. Don't we? Yeah. Well, listen, so, so you've been sober now over two and a half years. Mm -hmm. What's it like now? It's like, completely different. Um, it's, I don't know. I have a lot more awareness. I feel like more connected spiritually. Like, you know, when I, when something happens, I'm like, Oh shit. Like I need to start working the steps again, you know, or like call my sponsor. It's not like, Oh, let me go find something outside myself. It's like, I don't know. I just kind of feel like I'm in the middle of AA here. You know, mm -hmm. that there's just so much help. So 
I don't know. I just feel like I have friends that don't judge me in AA, that they're always there for me. There's so much support. And then this time around was way different. I mean, I always had, I had a trust of money. So I had like, an, you know, I, I had so much money. And this time around, that trust went away because of drugs, alcohol, to expensive treatment centers. And so I really had to bust my ass. Like I was poor, you know, like super poor. And it was like, I had to rebuild myself and I've done all of this on my own. You know, I have two businesses of things that I love that people are like, just, you need to get a real job. Like, but now I'm, I did this. I have a dog walking business and pet sitting business where I have to turn people down. Like, and then I have a jewelry business where I can, it's just amazing. And I feel like I'm helping out more there with like spiritual things. And what do you mean by that? Like, okay. So the jewelry that I make, a lot of it is um, like people do personal requests. Um, So I hand stamp special sayings on there for them that mean something to them. So when they wear them, I mean, it's, it could be a sobriety date. It could be any date. It could be someone's name. Um, it could be a saying that they really need to see every single day. And I feel like people have connected with me that way. And it's just, you know, with everything going on in the world, like I decided to start doing the Black Lives Matter bracelets and, and, but just do something with it, you know, like, I mean, like not profit off of it, but like donate. This is so cheesy, but so one of the girls from my high school bought one and she said, you and this other, this girl, Mandy, are the only white people doing something about it. And like to actually, you know, have her say that to me and know my struggles with alcoholism addiction and see me sober and see me today is just um, like, holy shit, you know? That's so cool. And I don't want to like sound conceited, you know, but it just like, it makes me feel like I'm doing something special. I hear gratitude. Yes. That's not conceited. Yeah. I totally hear gratitude. And if I wasn't sober, I couldn't do all this. Like I have not missed a day of work with the dogs, like not a day of work. Like if I was drinking, I would not be able to go in there. Like, you know, and let's be realistic here. People are fanatical about their dogs, maybe more so than their children in some cases. And they are trusting you with their dogs. I mean, as a drunk, there's no way they would trust me. No. You know? Yeah. It's because you show up and and you are able to do uh, what you say you will do now. You know, I had back when I was drinking my good friends that lived across the street from me and trusted me to let their dog in at night. They went out of town for the overnight trip. Well, it started snowing and I got drunk and I didn't remember it. I went to bed and I was like two o'clock. I went over there and that dog was outside covered in snow Mm. judging you i picked him up and took him inside wrapped him in blankets he could hardly walk i have not thought about that till right now oh my god that was awful oh my god i I didn't tell him i i got do i need to make amends for that yeah i gotta talk to my sponsor about that i don't (laughs) and that's working a program Something new comes to mind or some, some recollection hits and we are not like, Ooh, I got to squash that. Yeah. Yeah. Melanie, one thing he said that struck me as like, this is living in recovery. That's different than before. You said that when something happens outside of yourself, you look inside to see what's, what's wrong rather than blaming stuff outside. And that's an impulse that's, that is the opposite impulse of drinking. And that's the impulse of recovery. Instead of looking at what's wrong with the world, I need to look at my response to the world. It seems to me that's what recovery is. 
Can you speak any more about that? Like, do you have an example of where something outside of you happened and to you and you looked within to, to see what the problem was? Yeah. Cause it's so weird. Cause I always think about like, you know, this time in recovery, cause it's so different. So I think, you know, I mean, I've had a lot of resentments, you know, against people like my stepmom. And, um, I think that, you know, when I was blaming her for a lot, I mean, I don't know, this is really crazy because it's been a couple of years, you know, and this is, and I was talking to my nephew about it yesterday. So this is something that like just happened. Like, and he was like, Melanie, give Baba like a chance, give her a chance. And it happened last night. There was some drama with my sister-in-law through text. And she said something ugly because she saw me at graduation and he wasn't invited. My brother wasn't. And my sister showed me the text. My stepmom said, oh, I'm going to like cry because <laughs> this is a God moment. She said, um, she was like, that text was completely inappropriate. Melanie has worked so hard for her recovery and she's sober now. And her dad would have wanted her to be there. And um, she deserved to be there. And that was like, that was God, you know, and I can look at myself and see how that resentment was, you know, totally eating me up. But that was, that was God, you know, after those signs, you know, because in recovery that, that has been, I've been blaming her so much. Um, uh -huh. um, so I feel like God gave me that peace last night and today when I went to talk to her. So you did I don't talk know. You did mm -hmm. talk to her? Yeah, we went and I went over there this morning and we talked just about life. And, you know, wow. it, it was weird. It was like I felt love for her instead of like that fake, you know, like, oh, because I think the whole time that since my dad died, um, 10 years ago, when I go over there, I get really sad in talking to her and get really resentful. And I think this time, I don't know. It just felt like yeah. everything was like, I don't know if my dad did it. I don't know what happened, but it was just, I felt like I wasn't like, you're such a fucking bitch. <laughs> like, you know, leaving there, <laughs> it was yeah. And she said that she was going to help me with something. Um, and I didn't even have to ask. And I was like, oh, I'm taken care of. You know? Like, wow. I don't know. It was weird. And I didn't know that she was proud of me. Like, this time. I thought, I thought that she was like, oh, shit. You know, she had relapsed again. She's sober again for a while. Now she's just, it's going to happen. I think knowing that she felt, I don't know. She could see a change. That's, that's incredible. That is, that, that's God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Well, you know, I mean, it's one of the things that been made available to me uh, in recovery and that is for relationships to heal and grow. But when I was drinking, there was no way that was an option. Mm -mm. Well, um, what's I was, a relationship, Sam, that is different from when you drank? Um, as, granny is the first one that comes to mind. Um, granny died in 2017, but in, in my drinking time, uh, particularly the last years of my drinking, oh I was God, not there for her. Bad, did you have a bad relationship with her? At, I, I didn't have a bad relationship with her. I just was not a good grandson. Cause um, you, you, I would show up, but, <laughs> but, but I would show up. And then, you know, I was there for the obligatory amount of time I needed to be there. That was the thing. You know, my, my thought was getting home so I can drink. Yes. My attitude was many times pissy because I couldn't be drunk already. Or that I just, I mean, or I've got to be here and do this. Uh, and, and I wasn't mean to her, at least not intentionally, 
Right. But I'm sure there was no way that that was hidden. And yeah, she and could the, feel it. Yeah, and in the in the last years of her life, I got to be an awesome grandson for her. You did. You know, we spent so much time together and we had so many adventures and 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 in cool things. I mean, I still remember sitting in her kitchen uh, one time. This was an early recovery where I had, you know, I had, many of our listeners have heard about me and the God problem. You know, I had a problem with God and all that kind of stuff and religion and all that. And Granny was uh, a, a Southern Baptist and we were sitting in her kitchen and we started talking about God. That's where we actually connected. And it was a really cool moment because I was talking about God as I understood God. And I also got that she was talking about God the way that she understood God. And neither one of us made the other one wrong. And that is a conversation we never could have had. Um, it's, it's amazing what can happen with relationships. That, that is incredible because the, I didn't know that about your granny. I followed your Facebook feed and you would put up pictures of going over to granny's and having cake with granny and taking granny to do this or that. And what came across via the Facebook feed was this incredible love for your granny. And to know that back when you were drinking, you would like, it was one of those obligatory relationships where you showed up and just wanted to get out and go drinking. I can identify with that. Yeah, because that's the way I was with my folks. But that is incredible. This, uh, I mean, it's the gift of the program. Indeed, it is. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So, Melanie, what are you doing now to stay sober? This is a difficult time we're all going through. What do you do now on a practical basis, on a daily basis, to stay sober? Well, I, I mean, I pray in the morning and I pray at night and, you know, I always do our home group on Monday night, always. And I stay connected with my um, sponsor and I look at the gratitude and stuff. Like things can be really freaking shitty, like in the moment and whatever. And they'll be like, okay, but this is happening. Honestly, like, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I was going to a shit ton of Zoom meetings when this all started. You would see me like tons. Um, in the past three weeks, I have not been. I have been going to our home group and that's about it. So I think humbling myself to not being like, oh, I'm good. You know, like I'm all good. It's like I just jump right back. And I talk to people who call me I'm a bullshit. And <laughs> so yeah. that's another thing. But praying gratitude lists, talking to my sponsor, um, texting my sponsor daily has really helped. Um, and I feel like I have more of a spiritual connection now. I think that that was gone right when my dad died, you know, and I feel like now it's like back and I'm here for a reason. Isn't it amazing how life can be terrible and at the exact same time, there's incredibly beautiful things happening. There's both things to be sad over and things to have gratitude for at the same moment. Mm -hmm. And it, that runs through life. Some of the worst times that I've had in life in, in sobriety, I can look back on it and see like just wonderful things happened. I think to when my brother died and how horrible that time was. And I was, I was stressed out in a terrible situation, but I treasure some of the conversations I had with my brother then that were just great. And there were some of the high points of my relationship with him, a time when our relationship healed a great deal. Sam, you were talking about the change in relationship or more Melanie talking about change in a relationship. Cause I had lots of resentment towards him, but, and during this time, it's been by being in AA meetings continuously daily. Uh, it has helped me to be able to find gratitude and serenity in calamity. There is great calamity going on. 
and we match calamity with serenity. Yeah, it doesn't. I like, it's match. Yeah. You match calamity with serenity. I like that. Yeah. It's time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time, Sonny. <laughs> You're getting really old there. You can post a question to us on boiledowlaa.org. <laughs> okay, we do have a question here. This is from Ruth in Connecticut. How can I find the time for AA meetings? How can I find the time for AA meetings? There's no excuse now, right? <laughs> you can do it in your PJs. Now's the time. Well, how could I find time to, to go out and buy a six pack? I'm busy. That never happened. <laughs> I don't think that ever happened. Oh, I'm a little bit too busy to go get beer. I guess I just won't drink tonight. <laughs> I can't remember an occasion where, the, in fact, that was, it would be, you know, snow eight feet high and no one moving, and I would be shoveling my way to the convenience store. That was, it was, I was not going to miss drinking. But it's, you know, it feels like that it takes up too much time, or, and I can feel like I'm too busy. But it's a matter of priorities. That's really just what it comes down to. What's my priority? And, you know, I have to reach a place where I have, I have reached a place where I uh, accept that I need a certain number of meetings to be happy in the world, uh, to, be, to have some serenity in calamity. And the higher the calamity that's going on, it's the more meetings I need. But you know, I've gotten to the place where I know for me, it's, well, this used to be the case. This was before quarantine times, the quarantines that we're in now. Here in, in the land of quarantine, I need a lot more meetings, but I have more time. But I don't, I don't know, it's like three meetings a week is my minimum. I have experimented. And I know for a fact that uh, if I go down to less than three meetings a week, the, I, the world starts to not suit me anymore. And I start to find fault with everything in it. And if I do all my meetings and I'm in touch with other people in AA, and I'm talking to a sponsor, I'm doing Boiled Owl podcasts, then <laughs> it's easier for me to maintain my focus of I'm not in control with the world and all the people in it. I can let go and let God. It comes naturally. I start looking if something's going wrong in the world, what is it inside of me that's being activated that I can look at like, like Melanie said. And I don't think of that naturally if I don't go to enough meetings. So how to find time. I mean, there's got to be a certain number. And it, when I was new, it was every day. And when corn times started, it was every day. And now it's backed off a little bit. I'm doing five, five a week. But that's working for me. And I'm happy, joyous, and free <laughs> to use a cliche. What about you, Melanie? How do you find time to go to an AA meeting? Well, um, I mean, I felt really busy lately, so I've been, I was using the excuse that I was too busy, so I have talked to people. Um, I think now I just set a time. I'm like, that's my goal is, you know, and, and thinking the same thing. Um, I would go out and get alcohol anytime, so, you know, now I find a time that works for me, even if I'm super slammed busy um because there's 
yeah, I could find time for anything with alcohol and drugs and just let everything else go aside and just not do anything. So, but yeah, just pretty much exactly what Dawn said. Just, I mean, I don't want to go back out there again and know what happens when I put everything in front of my sobriety and meetings. So maybe the guinea pig thing. I'm the guinea pig of what happens. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, for me, uh, the very beginning was, um, so I would get off work at 430 and I worked uh, four miles from my home and the ABC store was uh, three blocks from my house. So I would hit the ABC store and I would be home and drinking vodka shots by 5 p.m. And that was my daily thing. And one of the things that I knew that I needed to do was um, to interrupt that as well. So I went to a six o'clock meeting in Greensboro, which was about a 20 minute drive away. And uh, so I would go home change clothes, feed the dogs, and leave immediately and go to this clubhouse where my home group uh, was or, or what was going to be my home group was. Uh, and I would show up early and still terrified of people, but I would show up early. And I did that every single weekday. And then on Saturdays, I would go Saturday morning to a meeting there. And then Saturday night, I would go to one of the gay meetings and then Sundays, I would go to a uh, Sunday morning meeting and, uh, and sometimes a Sunday evening meeting as well. I made a promise to myself once I got going on this that uh, the only reason that was good enough for me to miss a meeting was if I was doing something healthy with other people in recovery. And so that first year, I may have missed six or 10 meetings, you know, something like that. As time progressed, I found the time uh, being taken because my life was getting bigger. Uh, and so I did have other commitments that, that made it difficult to go to a meeting every day. Um, I also found that I didn't need a meeting every day. And then there was this period where I was uh, traveling internationally and so I might get to one meeting a week or maybe even one meeting every two weeks, depending on how things were going. Um, but that kind of is where I found I also hit my wall. Two, two weeks without a meeting, mm, that was, I was not a pleasant person. So what I know is that, you know, to start off, I had plenty of time to get drunk and plenty of time to nurse hangovers. So I had plenty of time to go to meetings. Cause I wasn't drinking and I didn't have hangovers <laughs> as life got fuller because that tends to happen when we get and stay sober and grow in this program. Um, I found that uh, I needed to make meetings a priority. Uh, and so I do have the commitment that I go to certain meetings. As I mentioned earlier, that's changed a little bit and over the, because of the COVID situation and zoom and all that, but but also um, over the years, I have changed up my meetings because I have to want to go to a meeting. And there's two reasons for me to go to a meeting. Sometimes it happens in the same meeting. Sometimes it's one reason or the other. And you touched on this very early on in what you were talking about, Melanie. And that was, um, if I'm not being fed at a meeting, then I need to look at is, is, is my reason to be there 12-step work? Do I need to be there to help someone else? And sometimes it's a matter of me needing to find another meeting that feeds me. But that's the thing is, oh my God, here in Greensboro, we got 130 some meetings a week. There's plenty of meetings to choose from. And now Zoom has really opened up the meetings. So we can go to meetings all over the world now. Um, and truly any time of day, particularly right now with all of these Zoom meetings that are available, finding time should not be difficult at all. Yeah, the barrier for entry is really low. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all you gotta do is find a, an, an address for a Zoom meeting and you can go to a meeting. 
and they're good. Melody, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you so well, much. Oh, thank you so much for asking me. I felt very special when you asked. So thank <laughs> you so much for asking. I'm so glad to hear that. Now, one thing I did want to mention earlier, it popped into mind is that, um, you know, since Don and you are in the same home group and it's so important for people to call you on your bullshit, Don, I expect you to call her on some bullshit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll be looking for it. <laughs> and vice versa. Vice versa. Yes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Weekends, yes. I could start earlier. Yes. Weekdays, 2 o'clock was my rule. Yeah. Weekends, 11. 2 o'clock? 2 o'clock, yeah. That's I mean, I had to wait at least until 5 o'clock when I gotten home from work and the, the liquor store. I, I, who knows where these numbers go? I know where this came from. The, I had a uh, friend. I went to Chapel Hill to visit him. God, I guess I was like uh, 19 and he was his first year in college. So I met him at the dorm and I said, well, let's go get a beer naturally. And he looked at his watch and said, well, two o'clock. I've heard you're not an alcoholic if you don't drink before two o'clock. And I just adopted that the rest of my life. <laughs> so just some arbitrary number that someone mentioned. Well, he at some said point. it, it must be true. <laughs> There you go. And so you, I you believe everything wait. you read on the internet too, right? I'd always wait till two o'clock and then I feel good about it. <laughs> now, the, the, the one for me was if I didn't start on, on a weeknight, if I did not start drinking before 7 p.m., then I was not going to drink that night because I would drink too late into the night and would oh, not make quit. it to work the next day. Couldn't quit. I understand <laughs> that. Mine was random because I didn't like really. You didn't have a rule? Well, I didn't work like during the times of my relapses. Like, so I didn't like have anything to do the next day. There so you go. I would like be like, oh, I'm just going to go to dinner and then start drinking and then drink through the night <laughs> for the next day. At a girl. Yeah. Well, actually, the two o'clock rule doesn't, uh, doesn't apply if you don't go to bed. Yes. You can drink, you can still the day before, so you can continue drinking.